When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here today to continue our positional reviews with our friend Jim Zipcode. Yo, hi. Hi, Jim Zipcode. <laughs> How you doing, Jim? Good, thanks. How are you? Uh, great to have you back on the show. Always a lot of fun to, to do it with you. First of all, before we get into this too far, uh, we're going to talk about the tight ends today. Tell us where folks can, can talk football with you online. Well, so I'm on Twitter a lot. I used to be on the RSR forums, um, but I kind of stepped back from them uh, this season. But I've also been doing a weekly column on wide receiver statistics on RSR on, on their front page. Uh, so uh, so you can look for me there. I'm actually 
a week and a half late with the final season one. I was too depressed with the way the season ended to actually get. Boy, do I understand that. (laughs) Yeah. So it was a long losing streak. That's for sure. We've endured a couple of these, but, uh, but it's, it's just a progressive nightmare. I mean, it's like a, like a Blair witch project or something where things are just getting worse and worse and worse as the things go, as the season goes on. I mean, it's, it's uh, what it reminds me of in terms of disappointment level is the season that ended on the, was it fourth and 12 against the Bengals? Yes. Dean Pease's last season. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what it reminds me of the, the, the level of disappointment and the suddenness of, of everything evaporating. So we're recording this on, on the night of uh, January 21st and Wink Martindale was uh, let go, separated from the Ravens, resigned, whatever we, we want to call it. Did he fall uh, or was he pushed? Uh, yeah, don't know. And and uh, and honestly, it, it, that's a that's a topic we'll be discussing a little bit later tonight. But uh, I, I, it, it's it it underlies some of the things, no doubt, we're going to be talking about. And uh, and I, obviously, a you know a, a strange thing that we're trying to make sense of here uh, as Ravens fans in terms of uh, of him uh, being done with the team. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about the tight ends anyway. We're including the fullbacks in this group. Uh, the other interesting news of January 21st, 2022, is that Ben Mason re-signed a futures deal with the Ravens. Uh, just absolutely incredible news, frankly. Uh, following the Geno Stone model of 2020, where he was drafted by the Ravens in the seventh round, Stone was, uh, uh, Subject released, subjected to waivers where he was uh, taken away by the Texans. And then when the Texans cut him uh, at the end of the season, then the Ravens re-signed Geno. And, of course, he played pretty well for the Ravens this year. So uh, hopefully Ben Mason in his second year of 2022 can come back and play some good football for the Ravens and they may need him to. Did he get a lot now? He was with he was in New England, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if he even played for New England, but I can I can look that up uh, yeah. briefly. But uh, we've had that question come up before, and I mean it's it's almost you know if he got some experience if he was on their if he was on their roster all season long and he practiced for Bill Belichick mm-hmm. and he you know he got he got to to learn their system and, and get some meaningful reps even if they weren't in game reps and then the Ravens get him back. I mean that's almost a, a best case scenario for them given that they didn't have a spot the Ravens I mean didn't have a spot for them on the roster this season and he was he, he got a redshirt year with Bill Belichick's coaching yeah he did, he did not I mean I'm sure he practiced with them on the on the practice squad obviously but he did not play in a game in 2021 so yeah. uh, uh, it is what it is uh, he is he's back with the team the Ravens obviously feeling they need they listed him as a tight end when they picked him up, which is a, another That's interesting weird. kind of kind of a thing, so we we think of him as a fullback, and I think he'd have a lot less value as a tight end. Frankly, we've right. uh, seen some of his route running in camp last year wasn't anything really special, and so he uh, uh, he's a guy that that uh, I expect to play fullback for the Baltimore Ravens if he if he makes the team. So that raises the question of um, does Pat Ricard have a roster spot next year? Uh, you know, his contract is. You know, fullback's not a super valuable position, more valuable to Greg Roman and uh, uh, and I guess Kyle Shanahan than most coaches, but but not around the league. They don't command a lot of money. Yeah, only about eight teams use a fullback at all. So there's a limited market for Patrick Ricard. I don't think there's a team that's going to go out and pay him five and a half million dollars a year. Right. But there may be more money out there than the Ravens want to play. And the Ravens are aware of some of his issues in terms of health. Uh, he had a hip surgery the offseason uh, before. So, you know, there'll be questions that they'll have to 
answer for themselves and decide if they need to get younger at the position. Ricard is a terrific athlete, a very large man, although not the 311 pounds they list him at. Not anymore, like, yeah. Yeah, he weighs more like 270 probably. I mean, I've seen him walking next to Bradley Bozeman. He's 50 pounds lighter easily, right. so it's uh, – you know, it's a difference. Yeah, sportscasters in game, they like to talk about him as if he's still uh, the size he was when he was playing defensive yeah. tackle for the Ravens. And that's not true anymore. I'm listing, looking at his PFR page, and he's still listed at 310. Yeah, that's uh, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> he was at one point, but uh, yeah. not not these days. Yeah. So, I mean, Ricard, maybe he's the, he's the guy we start with at the tight end position. Obviously, uh, tight end slash fullback. Uh, terrific player. The Ravens really needed him this year. And I think that they were not sure he'd be healthy, which is the reason they reached like anybody's ever reached to get Ben Mason, a guy who was probably going to fall to them as a UDFA. Uh, you know, if, if, if you could ever sell to a player that there was an, a, a good potential opening on the team, you could, sell, you could have sold it to Ben Mason yeah. under, the, under the situation that, hey, we've got a fullbacks coming back from injury. We don't know his situation. And we just and want we to know. Pullbacks. You've seen yeah. our, you know, and, yeah. and your brother, your, your head coach's brother is coaching this team. And your, co- I mean, your college head coach's brother is coaching this team. Yeah. It would have been an easy sell if he mm-hmm. in fact had fallen all the way to the, to the ranks of the UDFAs. Which he would have, because it is pretty clear evidence that um, New England was not going to draft him because they let him fall through the waiver process. Right. And if you do that, I mean, you're Might as well draft saying, him. I mean, you're not going to draft him. him. Right. So anyway, they they uh, well. So so that raises an interesting question to me, which is, uh, how shrewd is Eric DaCosta really? uh, You know, we're that's a whole other podcast. Yes, it is. uh, (laughs) That that was a pretty bad miss. I I, of all the picks that have been made, I don't know how that whether that pick was forced on DaCosta, uh, whether he you know he was coerced or talked into it by some combination of Harbaugh and Newsom and whatnot. I really have no idea how, how mm-hmm. that pick was made, but it's one of the really bad ones in, in recent Ravens history. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like the James Hurst pick. I, I didn't like the uh, James Hurst. I didn't like the Hayden Hurst pick. Mm. I didn't like the trading down from 16, as we all know. Uh, but I, but I, I really did not like the Ben Mason pick. And, and with the Ravens having such a, extreme needs at tackle and on the defensive line, it really didn't make any sense to me. So, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of defense of the pick, um, and and I just don't. I do not see it. I think if you if you deconstruct and you look at it in terms of its basic components, I think it's really hard to put this together. And then you look at the aftermath of this and see how the the Patriots treated Mason through the waiver process. You know, leaving him then exposed on the practice squad for most right. of the season. Right. I mean, they obviously didn't feel he was a draftable player either. Yeah. So, or you, your draftable players do not end up on the practice squad. That's a, that's a kind of a fundamental rule of drafting. You know, they're not. So they, you, you and I did a podcast on this draft pick. Like, why did yeah. they do it? And one of the things that we discussed was Patrick Ricard's injury status yeah. at the time of the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what was known, and 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 we thought at the time that they hadn't seen Ricard uh, since his offseason surgery, and really had no idea what what they were going in with. Uh, I would like to believe. What's what, how do I want to say this? I assume that Harbaugh and DaCosta have some clue what they're doing. And mm-hmm. so when I don't see the logic to a pick, I grasp for it. Like what could be the case for this pick? Right. So I wind up constructing defenses for some of their moves 
that I don't necessarily fully believe in, right? But they are logical Good. exercises for me. You know, devil's, like, well, devil's this, advocate. Yeah. So this could be what they're thinking. So I think I give the impression on Twitter and on the forums as, as being a little bit more of a blind, uh, faithful defender of their moves than I actually am. But I, I think there is logic to the Ben Mason pick, and it depends on, we don't know if Patrick Ricard's going to play this year. He's a huge cog in, in Greg Roman's yeah. offense. And that's all I've got, you know. Uh, and, and certainly the way the season played out, you know, we didn't have enough starting quality NFL caliber tackles on the roster, uh, mm-hmm. offensive tackles on the roster, as it turned out. Uh, we've never had enough pass rushers, you know, in the last three to five, well, since Terrell Suggs' final two seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's my counter to this. It's it's true that the Ricard injury, I'm sure, was... 60% plus of their drive to take Mason with that kind of a reach pick. Right. Because I, I, otherwise, I think they take the chance and they take him. But but I would argue the other side of this is how did they find Ricard? Because right. I, I don't know that they found Ricard as a fullback. I don't remember that camp if he was playing fullback from the very beginning. My recollection, okay, what what I can remember about I'll tell you, I'll tell you. He was a defensive lineman, and Harbaugh said, you know what, I think he could play fullback too. Harbaugh took credit for that position. Okay, but but when did did he say that is the question? After after Ricard was already on the roster. Okay, so that's my recollection too from going to camp that year, and I didn't go every day that year or anything, but but what I recall is that he would show up in his white defensive jersey playing with the purples on offense. Mm-hmm. And it was the weirdest thing. And we couldn't report on it because it's the kind of to... schematic stuff you're not, yeah. you're not allowed to, to, not allowed to talk and about where guys are playing and whatnot. Right. Where, where guys are playing. It's, it, maybe it's, this is, you know, this is the, the, the archetypal case. I think mm-hmm. that's a correct use of that word where, where you're not allowed to talk about that kind of stuff. I'm glad you and, said that. I, I use that word all the time, but I've never known how to pronounce it. <laughs> well, you may pronounce it correctly and I may not. I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows? But let me, let, me, let me continue with this is that um, I think they decided in camp, too, from yeah. my recollection of what I saw, that, that Ricard was a guy. So my question is this. is There's only eight teams that use a fullback. There's a lot of good athletes out there mm-hmm. on the defensive line who have that quickness, that handsiness. They're good at getting by. I mean, I would think if you want to, Isaiah Mack could be made into a fullback. Some other guy who has decent decent speed doesn't even really have to be a receiver. I mean, they, they made Ricard into a receiver later. It's not like they, they had that right off the right. bat. Um, Do it, you remember it, William Refrigerator Perry on the 85 sure, Bears? Sure. They used him as a fullback on goal line. Yeah, absolutely. He scored a touchdown <laughs> the in the was Super like Bowl. driving a tractor yeah. through, through the defensive yeah. line. It's ridiculous. And, yeah, it, and when you think about college football players, there is a a metric ton of college football defensive linemen who are not big enough to play defensive line in the pros. Oh yeah. Yeah. Lots of three techs that are, that are a little undersized, lots of undersized noses, but, but it's, it's the, I, I associate the ability to play fullback more with like a penetrating three tech. Okay. And you have a lot of guys who are, you know, 295, 300 mm-hmm. great athletes. And I, frankly, Mac is right in this range too. He's, he's, too undersized to play nose and he might not be quick enough to play three. Although mm-hmm. he certainly looked in his very brief time, quick enough to play three. I mean, I, I, you, th- there's guys sitting around on 
practice squads around the NFL who can't play defensive line. Right. Um, you don't even need a first year player. You can, but, but it would, it's always preferable to get one because then you have the four year option on the player. But, but if, if you're going to train somebody new, you, you know, you probably don't want to go with a third year player like Mac, but they, they could have found someone, I think. Um, even in a year like this with, with some restricted big men coming into the draft, I think they could have found someone who would have met their needs at least for one year, and they could have trained into playing fullback the Ravens' way mm-hmm. if Ricard couldn't go. And, and you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not uh, – it's, it probably is. I mean, I, I don't know who – generally speaking, the, the, the bigger player is the, is, the, is the safer bet with the, with the way the Ravens run their offense. And I think, you know, we see a lot of other teams when they, when they have a fullback in some very situational schemes, it's usually a defensive lineman these days. Yeah, goal line. Yeah, we have gone uh, over a dozen minutes into the tight end position <laughs> review Talk without mentioning Mark Andrews, which is a little absurd. Who's he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's uh, he's an undrafted free agent, uh, <laughs> not quite draftable. <laughs> so anyway, we got a little sidetrack based on the news of the day. But you're right, Mark Andrews. Uh, the offense clearly ran through him. Uh, this year for the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, as the season wore on, and the um, the deck on offense became much more of a, a, a set of threes and fours than a, than a bunch of face cards that yeah. they had to, to, to start the season. Um, you know, it, it's it's a uh, it, it became more necessary to run the offense through Andrews, who was literally their only ace on offense, and he performed. Yes. Everyone in the stadium knew that he was the only guy that <laughs> that could reliably make plays, and and they could not stop. Defenses couldn't stop him. I mean, you look at his, you know, so his target numbers were, you know, routinely double digits, sometimes sixteen <clears throat> targets a game, and he's still making impressive yards per target. You know, nine yards per target a game, yes. ten yards per target, eleven yards per target. He's efficient and productive when the entire focus of the whole defensive squad is on him. He had. The greatest season of any Ravens pass catcher in Ravens history, and by, it was unbelievable by yards and by and by receptions as well, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Most yards, most receptions, and I would argue most um, contested yards. You know, like when when you're the only guy and you're doing it anyway, that's hugely impressive. Yeah, it it was. Um, I, I will say the entire offense was schemed to get him the opportunity. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, one of the real problems with Huntley, and one of the reasons why everybody's production kind of went down in the in, in the latter part of the season, is that Huntley doesn't really have good pocket awareness. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's very, he's much more likely, multiple times more likely than Lamar to take an unexpected hit from behind yes. or the side, and that might cause a fumble. Now, to make up for that, Roman had to had to deal with the cards he had. And he had to say, hey, we're going to scheme to get that ball out quickly. Yeah. And the the read progression normally for Lamar is, you know, long to short, right. know, trying to extend plays, get opportunities, see if Hollywood's open, see if Andrews is open, and then, you know, find that emergency or run himself. In, in, and, and also, they don't even need a, a dump-off receiver a lot of the time because he him running the ball he is, is the dump-off. Yeah, he's the, the check down. Exactly. So, so anyway, the, the, this changed with Huntley, where I, you know, you could say it was 
short to long were the reads, but really what it was was Andrews to short to long right. were the reads. And and it's it's just you know Andrews you know he's all if you're always the first chance. You know, and you're a good receiver, and you know how to manipulate space in the secondary, and the Ravens are running routes to try and create space, which, by the way, Roman never gets credit for, but there was some of that in Andrew's numbers down the stretch. Sure. Yeah. Uh, is is going to, uh, you know, be able to find a spot, and, and Huntley's going to be able to get him the ball in, in, in as the first reader, Johnson is. And, and they did a good job of that all the way until the Steelers game. And then, and then he... Um, he had a kind of a regressive game there with eight eight catches of fifteen, which dropped him below seventy percent catch rate for the year. It kind of, it's kind of sad to see he was up around seventy two, seventy three percent, and uh, it was sad to see him drop below uh, with a with a big target game. In fact, his most targets of the entire season that last game. What was his? Uh, I'm, I remember that last game as as being statistically actually. Uh, I'm looking to see what his yards per target. 85, 85 yards on fifteen targets. So five point. Five point three, five point three. Yeah, but, you're right. So that was a bad game for him. Yeah, but the previous four games he was ten, ten and a half, ten and a half, twelve and a half, fourteen point eight. Yep. So uh, anyway, good. Uh, well, so so, but but I I feel like one of the things that one of the things that you were saying almost leads into a what I want to call a Marlon Brown interpretation of Mark Andrews' numbers, which is you know Marlon Brown had a, a very in his, I guess it was his rookie season, he had a mm-hmm. high yardage total for the Ravens. And there was some discussion in the fan community that go, oh, he's a diamond in the rough. He's a gem. But he was soaking up a zillion targets. Tons to of do targets. Yeah. 6.4 yards per target as a rookie for Marlon Brown. Right. So he was, um, he was getting a huge amount of volume to generate the yardage that he got. And if you're the only guy being thrown to, you will eventually accumulate a lot of yardage. But that's not the interpretation to me to put on Mark Andrews' numbers for the season because he, you know, sure, the, the, the Steelers shut him down, you know, fine. But by and large, over the course of the season, he was tremendously efficient as, as a receiver. This is not a case of a guy just, <laughs> this is the opposite of Marquise Brown's season, you know, mm-hmm. where like this is a guy who was productive with the target as he was given, not a guy who accumulated numbers merely because he got a lot of targets. Right. Well, I, I wouldn't lay that on, on Marquise Brown either. The, the Ravens offense couldn't generate a deep opportunity of any right. kind of value for Marquise down the stretch. So right. I, I, I honestly, I give them all a pass based on the crap tackle situation and the crap quarterback situation. I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. And, and you know what? It's, it's deeper than that. It's the running backs. I mean, when your running backs don't present any sort of a credible threat, your linebackers mm-hmm. stop taking read steps, your play action doesn't work anymore nearly as well. Uh, you know, you're, you're not stressing the defense to make choices and run themselves out of position. Yep. So I, it's, I, I'm, it's a very frustrating year offensively. And I hope that, that um, you know, I, I, I hoped Wink wouldn't lose his job over what he had to deal with with the threes and fours, even though he might have had fours and fives. But you know the the threes and fours that that uh, that Roman had also, boy, this this was just not a good offense outside of Lamar, and Lamar even really struggled towards the end of the towards the uh, descent. Um, uh, yeah, I mean Roman was tasked with making chicken salad, and he, you know, was only able to make a certain amount of it, and and I think we all understand that. I mean, there there wasn't a lot to work with. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting depressed here. Let's focus yes, on the tight end. Sure. The thing about the tight ends, when you look at them, it's, it's kind of a difficult position to discuss because on the one hand, we have the all-pro tight end. Mm-hmm. So the situation is great, right? 
But on the other hand, uh, to my mind, we've got pretty much nothing behind him. Uh, Eric Tomlinson's a good run blocker. Josh Oliver, I guess. What's that? A lot of specialists, a lot of niche guys who can do one thing well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh Oliver. I'm not sure. I mean, what is the one thing that Josh Oliver does very well? No, you've you've got me on that one. (laughs) (laughs) So so we have the all pro. uh, We have, you know, a guy who has a case for being the best tight end in football. And I'm certainly aware of the arguments for Kelsey and Kittle and, and, you know, Darren Waller. Fine. Mm -hmm. But he's up there. Right. He's he's in that he's in that 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 pant that echelon and then a bunch of nothing. Uh, which means that, uh, you know, two tight end sets are of limited, you know, value uh, and depth is a huge they, issue. They still use them all the time or still use them a lot of the time. The Ravens played, you know, about 1.7 ish for the year of mm-hmm. heavies, meaning fullback, tight end, six offensive linemen per play. Yeah. But they, you know, they they needed to help their tackles. You know, they sure. needed uh, both in, in, in pass pro and, and in the running game. So. Um, that wasn't a very productive use of personnel, but it was probably very necessary. Yeah, I, I, I to- totally agree. Let's let's go back to the individuals because one guy we, we really haven't talked about, a guy who was a huge part of the offense before, was Nick Boyle. Yeah, and you know his season obviously very disappointing in terms of not getting back until later than I think the fans hoped. The Ravens probably knew better all the way along the line that his injury was going to take time, and it was just taking more and more time. When he did come back, he wasn't particularly effective. Um, he wasn't playing a lot of snaps. And 95 snaps on the year, right? So less than 100? Yeah, and 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 I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll take your word for it if you're looking at it. Um, and, and he did not get many targets. He might have gotten one or two targets during the year. I think he might have had one catch uh, for the That's season. Right. One of two for a yard on the season. Yeah. That's just wonderful, isn't it? That's exactly <laughs> what they, uh, they wanted. I, I have one of, one of one for two yards. No, no, I'm sorry. One of two for two yards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One yard per target. Yeah. yeah. One of two for two yards. Yes. Uh, I love Nick Boyle. I'm sure you do, too. I love Patrick Ricard. But mm-hmm. they um, – you need more speed. You know, you need more speed on the field to, to threaten defenses. And um, that, that's a general comment that you're making. And, and I wouldn't in, – in the, within the context of most offenses, I would agree. And unfortunately, this year's Baltimore Ravens became most offenses as yeah. soon as uh, their offensive tackle situation, their offensive line situation was was gutted. I mean, I, you know, I, I think we can look back at this and really be thankful that the team traded Orlando Brown. I, the Ravens might have made the playoffs if they had yeah. him, but, the, but they wouldn't that's have been a fair. viable playoff team. They, they would not have been. I mean, we'll, yeah, one and done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, if they had won two more games, like maybe maybe they might get a favorable matchup. They could potentially have won the division, maybe. But they weren't right at home. they weren't winning two games in the playoffs, and maybe right. not even one. Right. So it might have had might have gotten the pleasure of a home playoff loss or even a home playoff win, and then a road loss somewhere else. But that would have been uh, it, it would it would have been a very difficult way. And they still wouldn't have had Lamar back. So it would have been Huntley in the playoffs. Unless you want to unwind, unravel everything about, about, uh, uh, you know, Lamar. There's only so far you can go right in that that direction. Uh, that's an interesting take your idea that the Ravens are better off not having Orlando Brown. I bet you're the first human being who has said that given the Ravens tackle situation, but I might agree with you in terms of, you know, where they're now positioned for draft picks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they would, he would have been a free agent, this year, right? It would have been a free agent, so they would have gotten a they would have gotten a comp pick for him, but but they also got the they got draft capital for Adafi Owe, so right, you know, right. that's a pretty big compensation for him there too. Great so. player, yeah. 
I'm I'm very happy anyway with the exchange. I'm glad they made that trade. I I wish they would make more trades to 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 fit value as that one did. Um, even in seasons where they appear to be, you know, have a good chance to win it all. It's, it's, a, it's the kind of thing that I think you really never know in today's COVID world. Uh, it, it's, it's, to, it's squared as it is normally. But even, even in a normal NFL season, it's so dependent on injuries. And yeah. We just saw it from the Ravens this year. We saw it in 2015. So it's not like it doesn't happen, you know, two times every seven years. And the other way around, years. we saw it in yeah. 2019. Where they weren't hurt. Yeah, yeah where, where they had incredible injury luck. And they were a Titanic. They were they were uh, nearly unstoppable, at least in the regular season. And it really became more so as that season moved on. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I want to go back to the point you made earlier about how you know Boyle and Ricard, when they're paired up with a with a with a golf, good offensive line, are unbelievable weapons. True. That help you in drive the running a run game. game. Yeah, with yeah. The, with the sixth and seventh guys, and and you know then you have Lamar, who is the, the third and short and fourth and short conversions, yeah. keeping the chains moving. Yes. Yeah, it's. I mean. You're you're playing four down football all the time when you're mm-hmm. when you're when you're at your own twenty. I mean, the Ravens they, they had a historic num- number of points per drive, the fifth highest in NFL history. It's it's you know people don't realize just how great that offense was right. and, and give it its due. And I I even overstated how much Lamar was the was the root of that. Obviously, that offensive line had three really good players on it. Uh, even though Brown only really played half a season, but they had three really good players on that on that offensive line, and and uh, and then the good situation, of course, at tight end and at fullback. I think that uh, yeah, and and it's there are so many polarizing opinions about Greg Roman, um, but I think that the I mean when it works. You know, it's 2019 and you're blowing guys off the ball and you're converting third and short and fourth and short all the time and nobody can stop you. Mm-hmm. And that um, that that justifies itself, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, um, so uh, he he's he uses different pieces from what most NFL offenses look for. And that's an advantage in terms of personnel and roster building. You know, he's got a use for Nick Boyle. He's got a use for Patrick Ricard. Yeah. Uh, a very productive where other sport. teams will undervalue those players. So it's kind of Correct. like the old thing about how do we find value in a in a in a marginal player that other people yes. won't. Yes, it's like uh, back when every team was running four three defenses, mm-hmm. and you're running a three four, and you can make use of those tweeners who yep. can't be defensive ends, but they can be outside linebackers and and whatever, and and so that gives you an advantage uh, in roster building and an advantage in the salary cap world. Well, Greg Roman, I think, is the flip side mm-hmm. of that, where you get an advantage in the type of player who is the run blocking tight end who can catch like a three yard pass. You know, the Patrick Ricard, whatever he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's a particular mold that a common mold that he fits. You know, uh, so um, I really value the things that Greg Roman does on offense, despite the fact that they don't generally generate high passing volume numbers. I think you look at points per drive, first downs per drive, stuff like that. I think that, that it's a winning drive. Offense. That's yeah. really all you need. It's, That's, it's totally once once you once you get beyond that. I mean, your your your, your number of drives is essentially mm-hmm. your opponent's number of opportunities. At least, is very closely correlated sure. to it. You know, there's obviously end of half manipulation of the clock and whatnot. Yeah. And you yep. you can lose that, but uh, you know, teams that run the ball effectively generally control pace as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, you you get ahead and imagine I I, I okay. 
I probably shouldn't even tell the story because I don't think it reflects well upon me. But yeah. I, Please. I, I, well, we can't I was, not. Yeah, it's, it's, a great, it's, a great, it's a great story for this period. We were playing a game of, it wasn't Hungry Hungry Hippos. This yeah. was with my, with my young nephew, and he was about five. And my ex-wife's brother. Okay, so the three of us are playing a game around on, on Christmas time, and and the the, the way this thing it podcast fans, film study fans, yeah. make make your notations <laughs> on Ken's family life. You know, we yes, have the ex wife's brother. All right, yes. so, so, so anyway, there was there might have been this shark that followed you around the track. It's hard for me to remember exactly what yeah. it worked, but if somebody out there will remind me if this is shark attack or something else, somebody who's younger. I'm 58. I was playing this game. I was probably you know, 30 at the time. So anyway, the shark follows you around the track and, and might eat your tokens. And so the rules are very, very carefully stated as the youngest person rolls the dice, or I think it's the, yeah, I, I, it, how are they defined? It's, it's, it's a specific reason about, about rolling the dice and naming the two colors on it. So it's like kind of like Candyland. This is a, this is a lot of story for very little payoff <laughs> in the end. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how this, this, this uh, how does relates this fit in? <laughs> to NFL pacing. Is that if, when you're ahead in that game, nothing is, well, take your time. And it was always oh. Jeffrey, our nephew, who would, who would roll the dice and take the things. And the two... And the, <laughs> My brother-in-law and I would have to kind of, kind of like each guide him on the pacing to, to help ourselves in the game, which is unbelievably competitive and stupid. But, but uh, you can imagine this anyway. So, so we're like with the, the two. If Jeffrey and I were were significantly ahead of him, he's really like, oh, Jeffrey. You know, take your time. There's no rush. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey. Jeffrey was probably. Uh, Five or six at the time, I'm going to think. Dude, you're exploiting a six-year-old. No, 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 I'm not exploiting. We're playing with him. It's a, it's a diplomatic game. It's, sure. You know, it's, it's, anyway, so it, was a, it was a lot of fun. And I, and, uh, but that's that's what teams who control So are you do. Greg Roman in this story and Jeffrey is the opposing coach? Or, or what's the... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm. I'm uh, I don't think I get to be Lamar Jackson, so I think it'd probably be be Greg Roman. But anyway, it was it was a uh, at the very end of the game. <laughs> you know, my brother-in-law said I didn't like the way you controlled pace during that game. <laughs> like he would have tried to do the same thing, of course. But it was like that's the whole game. There literally is no other component to this game other than rolling dice. Do you remember? So that reminds me of the play of the of the the page the Patriots game in two thousand. 2019, yep. when Tom Brady is sitting on the sideline in the second half, all he needs is the goddamn ball to lead a game-winning drive, and he's just sitting there stewing, yep. and the Ravens are picking up five yards, six yards per running play, and he's just watching the clock tick, and he's slamming his helmet on the ground, and he's cussing. He he he's not liking the way you're managing pace in this game. <laughs> you know, yeah, so pace is uh, pace is everything, and and so it. it I, I the the other point I want to make with that is that the three point oh eight yards per drive were not the the entire story. The other the points per drive. The other part of it was, but because they were controlling pace in there, the, one they kept their defense very fresh. We're talking about two thousand nineteen, right? Two thousand nineteen for four quarters of football. And yeah. the other thing they did is they they um, uh, uh, had better control of end of game situations yeah. than yeah. most teams. And we saw that in the San Francisco game, for example, where they got the ball with six minutes left and they drove right down the field for a game-winning field goal in as right. efficient way as you possibly can. I'd say. Right. Uh, anyway, back to this year's Ravens. I, I, obviously not playing with the same deck of cards. You know, this is a, a, 
a much weaker team. I think the only the only part of the team that was really functioning well at the end of the season was Mark Andrews and the interior offensive line. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, that really any other part. The rest of the receivers weren't doing much. Um, no. They were constrained by scheme, but they weren't doing much. And uh, it's it's really a sh- would be a shame. I, I don't. I don't think there's any point in in identifying a scapegoat on offense like this. I mean, the play. No. There's just a lot of bad players playing a lot of bad football. Well, I, I it. I don't even want to call them bad players. We had bad offensive tackles. Mm-hmm. We had you know fourth, fifth, and sixth string running backs. I mean, like uh, I. I think. Uh, um, why am I blanking on our running back's name? Devonte. No, De, uh, Freeman. Uh, Freeman. Thank you, Devonte Freeman. Uh, I thought he was quite impressive. I thought he he played some good football. He had some, he he showed some stuff in the passing game. He he ran hard. Like I wouldn't call him a bad player. Uh, I would say that he's not at this point in his career a bell cow running back. He's but that's not his fault. He, he's a good football player who was asked to do more than you know. Everybody was asked to do more. You know, not Kevin Zeitler, right? But most of the players mm-hmm. on this offense were asked to do more than than really they could just because of the injuries. Right. The, uh, the running backs did not have any credible outside threat, which was the big thing. And, mm-hmm. and that meant that so they couldn't threaten the edge. They, they couldn't threaten the edge. And once you can't threaten the edge, that just makes it a lot easier for the defense to maintain the box and and uh, make sure they can they can track you down there. And, not, and frankly, not even aggressively play gaps the way they would against other teams, you know, if against other Ravens teams, you know, they'd, they'd be hammering that gap. They'd be taking yep. steps. They'd be making mistakes. Yep. Running yep. Out of position. Anyway, enough, enough of that. Tight ends. Um, <laughs> this the, is the tight, tight end. And, 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 you know, Nick, Nick Boyle, I, 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 one of the questions about him, you know, will he ever be Nick Boyle again? Yep. And I think it's a legitimate question. And um, I, I don't actually remember his contract status, whether he'll be a Raven uh, for one more year. I don't think he's, I don't think he's on the, on the block to be cut this year for some reason. Okay, it's. Uh, I, I would have to look him up on over the cap. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, not I'm going right now. So he's okay. signed through 23, uh, and they basically zero cap savings from cutting him uh, next season. Okay. So even though he has a five million dollar guaranteed salary, he still has he has three million guaranteed and two million in prorated bonus still. To be what paid. was the injury? Was it a knee? Knee well, injury from from previously, yeah. And I, uh, I couldn't tell you exactly the type, whether sure, it's MCL, PCL, whatever yeah, yeah, might have yeah. been involved. So uh, this it, it, is not a situation where you have the all-pro, the reigning all-pro tight end, and yet I would say that this is a position group at which the Ravens have a personnel need. They need to add, they need to add talent to this position, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, and, and where they get that is going to be a really interesting question. They, they could go out and get a, a, a vet men guy. Mm-hmm. They could easily draft players at tight end, and they might go the UDFA route too. I wouldn't rule out any one of those three as options. Uh, and I really wouldn't rule out what we talked about is that they will, in addition to Mason, if Ricard is not in camp, they may identify right. a lineman and say, hey, this is, this is our guy. We think he's nasty. We think he has enough, uh, enough juice. To, to do it with fullback or to be a tight end fullback. fullback but, but, I mean, you know, they may, they'll use him as an H back. They'll use him in line. They'll use him in the backfield or whatever, but a guy that they would use not just in a goal line type situation for other teams. Yeah. But, but I'm saying if they, if they don't, if, if Ricard is not there in camp and they're not going to leave that job to be Ben Mason's only, they'll, they'll have somebody else competing with him for that job. And it might be, it might be another legitimate fullback. It might be a guy who they, 
designate a fullback by his traits yeah. that they think they see. Yeah. I would not be surprised. I mean, I would not be surprised. Uh, so talking about tight ends, not fullbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Ravens have approximately a million fourth round picks in this coming draft. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see that go to a, a combo guy who can both catch and block. Uh, cause, cause that's really, that's, that's going to be Greg Roman's fantasy at that position, right? A, a chess piece who can do both things, not a, not a one dimensional guy like a Tomlinson, but, uh, you know, not to invoke a, an unpleasant name, but like a Hayden Hurst who in the first round, isn't such a great idea, but in the fourth round would be perfect. You know, a guy he'd, who can do be both an things. Unbelievable bargain. I mean, they got Mandrews in the third round. Uh, it's, it's not impossible to get a tight end that late. Um, they, they have to be, you know, careful about, uh, their scouting and they are in terms of, of who might be good. Uh, and anyway, they'll, uh, I, I, I think all options are on the table. I would say Tomlinson is a, a pure blocker. We haven't talked about yeah. him yet. I yeah. thought he really stepped up in terms of what they asked him to do. It was a good um, stay in line pass blocker, a set blocker, as I would call it. If I, if you define the set set and chip blocks, um, it, you get a real sense, by the way, look at Andrews. He had two receptions against the Steelers of the Rams. One of those two games, he had two receptions where he chipped on the play. I think it was actually the Steelers. And it is very hard yep. for a tight end to get anywhere, basically, where he can be expected to be after making a chip block. You it's have to very, think, because a chip is you are making contact with a 300-pound guy. you're initiating it, yep. You're initiating contact. So you're in a car crash at the beginning of the snap, mm-hmm. bam, and then somehow you're getting 10 yards downfield against coverage yep. and making a play. That's yeah. absurd to do yes. that more than once, like in a season to me, yeah. but, but maybe I guess NFL players are differently talented than I am, but that, that's, that's an impressive play. Yeah. <laughs> twice, twice against the Steelers for, for reasonable gains off the line of scrimmage, like eight, 10 yards, both times. Uh, I, Tomlinson was almost never used as a receiver. I mean, almost mm-hmm. too little. I thought that he probably has some ability with his hands and, he, they, I think they got him one reception this year, but he's had on two maybe, targets, one reception, two targets. And what do you have for last year? Uh, Zero for one, maybe something, something like that. I don't right. remember. I, it's too depressing to look at. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the top line is Mark Andrews. Brilliant season. Unbelievable season. I only want to talk about that. You get down after that at the tight end position. Eric Tomlinson played 26 percent of the snaps. Who cares? He got two targets. Josh Oliver got uh, 15 targets on the season. So that's, you know, at least they're using him like about once a game. He paid 13%, 12% of the offensive snaps. Like it's it's Mark Andrews and a cast of guys. Right. I mean, Tomlinson is not used as a receiver. I mean, he's, he's yeah. almost like a sixth offensive lineman. But yeah. the fact that they never used him as a receiver yeah. made it be like they took the they took the threat away entirely, too, which was unfortunate. But I, I, I do I, I like to see that when the Ravens are running the ball and running the ball effectively, this, there's nothing more fun to watch than that. It's, it's, it's to me, it's more fun to watch than them passing the ball downfield on three plays and getting it. I love to see the despair. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, old, the old Conan line is, is uh, you know, uh, see your enemies, drive them before you and hear the lamentation of the women. I mean, you really Conan, hear that. What is best in life? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, your so. enemies driven before you hear the lamentation of their women. Yeah. We're no, old, that's exactly a lot right. of, you, a lot, you there's a lot of this audience that's never seen that movie. 
Uh, that's true. Or we're not born when that movie yes. came out. So uh, Conan the Barbarian, 1980s, starring uh, mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, directed by John Milius. Uh, go see it. Really? Source of a lot of uh, memes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yes, I think that, uh, right, you see the demeanor of the defensive front seven. You see the opposing head coach just like just kicking the grass. Uh, You see the opposing quarterback just staring disconsolately into space with his butt on the bench. Yeah, I I think when the running game is working, um, (laughs) I'm sorry, I just had a meta moment. I I realized that um, this season's Ravens tight end like we're talking about this position group and we're talking about everything except this position let's bring it back home Jim so let's let's talk about what are the Ravens going to do for 2022 and let's talk in, in the in the three basic building block things who, who might they get in in free agency whether that's a a somebody they might pay some real money for or somebody they'll they'll try and get at the vet minimum so both Ravens methodologies um, and and then uh, who might they draft or it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be who, but, but would they expend draft capital? Um, yeah. And then, and then if, if not that, who among the players that they have right now could see an increased or different role? So I think that um, when we talk about the running game, I think Nick Boyle, Eric Tomlinson, Patrick Ricard, they're very obvious pieces in the running game as, as tight end slash fullbacks. What are you willing to pay for Ricard? Because you're going to have to sign him. To well, pay. but when we talk about the passing game, I think the number two tight end in the passing game is not on the current roster. Yeah, I agree with uh, that. So I think that we are looking at either a non-minimum vet signing, uh, like a mid-level veteran. I, I don't know who that person would be. Or we're looking at one of the fourth-round draft picks for a number two tight end. And I think it's a hidden need. I mean, we've got the all pro tight end. So you would think, oh, we're fine. But the the number two tight end who can threaten in the pass game or is a two-way tight end, he's not there. Right. And I, I, I would agree with that. And and I think I think that's that's a reasonable expectation of money spent. Uh, there's there's no uh, high value tight end the Ravens are going to be excited to get. There are a lot of high value free agents that, you know, could go the Ravens way, but but not uh, not a tight end. That won't happen. Uh, they won't. They won't have multiple players that are paying at the position. They really want to pay somebody. I'd say about three million dollars yeah. of AAV tops, and that might be a, a one-year prove-it deal on some yeah. veteran. And ultimately, what the Ravens want to do is draft a player and have them for four years. They they don't want to end up with a lot of consecutive one-year deals. Uh, they have Oliver for one more year, so they have that. I, I think. Do you think Oliver has has some upside beyond what we've seen? He's been so bad so far. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really hard for me to, to say. I mean, they saw something. Um, beyond what we've seen, yes. But, but you know, it, it, what's his real ceiling? That probably came down to this year from for mm-hmm. where I thought it might have been. So right. uh, I wasn't that excited about him to start with, and now I'm less excited if yeah. you want to be you know honest about it. Uh, I think Eric Tomlinson is a reasonable guy to bring back. I don't think that will be too difficult to do. And he's a vet men guy. He's also, this is one of the really cool things. He's one of about three or four players that might fit into the Ravens who will allow them to play the roster game at the beginning of the season where they cut a bunch of veterans that they're exceptionally good at. So they'll have some players they want to bring in as midseason reinforcements. They really needed them this year. And still they, you know, I, I can't, can't say I even noticed, 
you know, healthy players coming back to the Ravens at midseason. But they did they did some things to to protect players that were that was really very clever. Um, and they had five guys, I think, originally that all made it back at some point. McPhee yeah. and Levine and Tomlinson and uh, players like that. Jordan Richards was was among that group, even though he never made it back to the roster permanently, I don't believe. Yeah. I don't think that I'm permitted to be on your podcast without invoking the name of Miles Boykin. Okay. So uh, uh, he is a name who I see bandied about on the forums fairly frequently as somebody who might be considered for a position switch to tight end. And I want to say that I think that that's ridiculous and he cannot play tight yes. end in the NFL or cannot for Greg Roman because he would have to block. And, and he can block safeties, but he'd have to block defensive front seven guys and Boykin can't do it. I, I, I'm, I'd be in the same position and I think he could do it once in a while, but if he had sure. to do it play after play, it really wouldn't be his thing. Marvelous player in terms of using his length and keeping his feet against corners and safeties that he yes. has a very significant height and weight advantage on. Uh, and, and hit that that's really underrated. I mean, Boykin brings a lot of value to the Ravens when he's in the lineup for, with, with just that. Uh, but I don't see a move to tight end. I don't see no. him bulking up and maintaining um, any kind he'd of, lose, uh, he'd lose all the advantages he has. Yeah. And, and so people think about uh, successful wide receiver to tight end switches. They think of Darren Waller. Darren uh-huh. Waller was easily 20 pounds heavier than Miles Boykin coming out of college. He's like, also Boy, a wow. freakish athlete. Yeah. That, that and a bigger could, guy. Yeah. Could give away a little bit of, uh, 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 you know, could carry some extra weight certainly on that frame. Right. Right. All right well, I, I think we, we've laid this out to, to a good degree. And, and uh, I, I think a lot of people are familiar with the, with the Ravens tight end situation, but I appreciate you going over this and all of the interesting branches of the conversation of, you know, shark attack and you know, family, <laughs> or family Christmas tree and whatnot that naturally come from any tight end conversation. Sure, right. <laughs> so, uh, but Jim, thanks for, thanks for joining me for this one. Uh, Ken, I think the, the only thing I want to, uh, the only thing I'm sad about as we wrap up is mm-hmm. that we have not really given the due to how tremendous Mark Andrews was this season. I mean, 107 catches, 1360 yards. It's, it's you know he's he's it's what yards per target up over around eight or nine nine uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, just a tremendous season and so when we say that the Ravens need to upgrade the tight end core add talent to it it's not because the top guy is not tremendous but because the guys after him you know they they don't have enough you know they don't have a number two guy they don't have enough variety in the core below the top and guy. they tend to use a lot of players right. at that position so if, right. if they were a pure 11 team yeah and andrews was their guy and he could play all the snaps you know they'd be fine other than the fact that they'd be completely screwed if andrews got hurt sure that's something i really don't like one of the one of the nice advantages of the roman offense is some players can get hurt and you still have viable weapons at the at the tight end fullback ol6 right. group Right. You know, I wanted to mention, I'm sorry, I know we're wrapping up. I don't mean to start a new hair here. However, I did want to mention in terms of like, I I feel like with the personnel that the Ravens have added over the last couple of years, they actually could become a pure 11 team. You know, they could throw Bateman, um, Marquise Brown, and I would love to see James Prochet get more snaps. Sure. You know, three wide with Mark Andrews. That's a hell of a group in in my estimation. Uh, oh. So, so if they wanted to go pure eleven, then I think the the need for the number two tight end in the offseason acquisition, you know, that that changes that that equation a lot. Yeah, it, it would change the offense very 
very significantly because you mm-hmm. would not be the kind of get double teams in the middle, motion people in to get double teams, create good second level opportunities for your running backs, create the kind of misdirection that you can yeah. with I, a lot of that goes away. If you, if you are commit to 11 on every play and I mean, other teams like to run out of it. I mean, the, the Bengals certainly like to run out of 11 pretty much exclusively. The chiefs the Rams, run out of 11 a lot. Yeah. And I, I, they're, they're successful offenses. They, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, the Ravens have their own signature on this that is that is largely Romanized. But I also will, will tell you, I don't think it would work for them to become more of a pure passing attack with Lamar. I think it takes away from who Lamar is. I think it, it actually takes away from from the um, gifts Lamar gives you in terms. Well, of, I, I don't of, think. I thought I don't think 11 personnel means that you have to significantly change the run pass balance. I think teams run extremely effectively out of 11 because the defense has to match up with the guys that you put on the field. Yeah, they, they do. And don't get me wrong, but they, but you don't, the, the, the mesh concept and the other ways that you stress the, uh, the box as it is are not gotcha. the same and all uh, getting people to run their way out of, out of position is probably harder running out of 11. That's true. Is. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. All right. Look, uh, Jim, pleasure to have you on. we got another pod to record right away, unfortunately, uh, to talk about Wink Martindale. But uh, I really appreciate having you on. Uh, once, one more time, Twitter handle? Uh, what is it? It's zip underscore Jim. It's at zip underscore Jim on Twitter. And, uh, you know, look on the RSR front page for I'll eventually get this uh, <laughs> game 17 wide receiver synopsis out. It's only two weeks late. That's that's uh, the way it goes sometimes, but we yeah. we, we appreciate the uh, the way things have gone this season. Appreciate having you on the show all the times you've been on this year. Other folks, let me address you here for a second. I'm looking to do some pods, and a series I'm starting right now is fixing the Ravens. So if you'd like to talk to me about what is your fix for the Ravens' current dilemma, and they obviously this team has a lot of issues to fix, despite the fact that they were an eight and three team at one point this season. Um, Send me a DM on Twitter. Uh, they're open and I'd love to hear from you. We want a kind of a narrow focus topic that we can get into in some depth in about 30 minutes. And uh, I'll, I'll do as many of these as I have good ideas for them. Fire Greg Roman is the kind of thing. Uh, first of all, I, I already have some some people who want to talk about Greg Roman or kind of want to debate whether or not he should be the coordinator next year or not. But that's the sort of thing that would be too broad in nature. So I've heard some some other very good ones about rebuilding the defensive line. And, you know, a 4-3 or a 3-4 defense is something you can debate at a level, too. So anyway, those are some, just some decent ideas that I think, uh, you know, hopefully will guide people into the kind of narrowness I'm looking for. Uh, Jim, thanks again for coming on. Ken, I am always so thrilled to be invited. I'll talk to you anywhere, anytime about this stuff. Absolutely. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Stuff. <laughs> you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.